0: Hey friends, I hope you're staying healthy and safe and reasonably happy considering our current circumstances. And if you're like me, and you hate the sun and hot weather, and you happen to be experiencing a lot of both of those things right now, then I hope you're finding ways to keep cool. Are you a Beastie Boys fan? I finished reading the Beastie Boys book today. Have you seen this thing? It's over 500 pages long, and it's thick, jammed with amazing photos spanning the band's entire career. There's a ton of guest writers in it, like Colson Whitehead and Jonathan Lethem. It's really an incredibly well-made book. And if you love the Beastie Boys, or you just love hip-hop culture and punk rock culture, especially from the 80s New York scene, then you need to check this thing out. I know it's been out a couple years now, but I only recently got my hands on a copy via our public library, and it's still new to me. Anyway, speaking of great books you should check out, And regular listeners of this fine podcast will certainly know where I'm going with this. Speaking of great books you should check out, I've written an independently published seven that I would absolutely recommend to any fans of smart, clever fiction. Or perhaps you're just a fan of this show and you want to help support it, and myself, monetarily. If you fall into either of those two categories, please head over to Amazon. Type my name, Andy Mascola, into the Amazon search bar, And wherever in the world you are, you will be directed to my novels, which you can purchase in both paperback and ebook formats right now. And if you don't use Amazon, you can still type my name into the search bar for the website of a little bookstore you may have heard of called Barnes & Noble and uh, find and purchase paperback copies of most of my books there as well. If you've already purchased any or all of my books, thank you so, so much. I sincerely appreciate your patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song. Hello, People Are the Enemy listeners. This is episode 130 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for spending time with me. I appreciate it. I think you've made the right decision. This is a great show, and this is going to be a great episode. I am, uh, I am uh, Today I'll be reading you the fifth and final part of a story I wrote called Car Partners. If you've yet to hear parts one through four of the story, I'd like to suggest you stop listening now. Go back and listen to those parts in sequential order first. It'll make what I'm about to read to you now make a lot more sense. If you don't care, then by all means forge ahead. You can always go back and listen to the whole thing from part one after this is over. What I'm going to do right now, for folks who have been following this story, is back up a bit into the end of part four to give you a little refresher, and then roll right into part five. Again, the final and conclusion, final part and conclusion of Car Partners. So, without further ado, I give you Car Partners, part five. Victoria gets out of the car and opens the back door. She leans inside and holds out a tissue. I take it and dab my eyes. I'm sorry, I say. No, no, Victoria says. I'm sorry. I should have realized you were too nice to tell me to mind my own business. Is this the last box? Victoria asks, pointing to the cupcakes on my lap. Yes, I say. Well, I can not have tears on my cupcakes, Victoria says, smiling. I'm not going to start driving again until I know you're going to be okay, dear, she says. I'll be okay, I say, swallowing and putting the tear-speckled tissue back into Victoria's open hand. She reaches into the car with both arms and gives me a hug around the shoulders. It feels nice. I hold her arm for a long moment. She lets go and gently shuts the door, smiling and winking at me through the window. I force a smile. She gets back into the driver's seat, starts the car, and proceeds toward our destination. I pick up the last cone-shaped bag of icing and begin to finish decorating the last of the cupcakes. Twenty minutes later, we pull into a library parking lot. Victoria pulls up to the brick building's front door and stops, putting the Lexus in park. It's just before 10 a.m. Patrons sit in their cars, looking at their phones or reading novels, apparently waiting for the library to open. A thin, older gentleman in a striped, short sleeve button-down shirt and green pants is removing books from a big blue drop-off bin and placing them into a wheeled cart. "'Were you able to get them all done?' Victoria asks." yes i say great thank you so much she says turning around and handing me two folded bills you're welcome i say taking the money and opening the back door good luck with everything she says smiling i nod and shut the door to the suv victoria drives off immediately i unfold the two bills a twenty and a ten fair considering our conversation had compelled me to cry in her presence With one hand, I stuff the money into the front pocket of my jeans, and with the other, I slide my phone out of my back pocket. Etched into the brick above the building are the words Barwood Public Library. I sit on a bench that faces the parking lot and watch the old man continue to fill his cart with returned books. I open my phone and begin to call the car partner's office before remembering I have Cheryl's cell phone number. While it wouldn't normally be my preference to request that she pick me up, I'm still feeling somewhat raw after having emoted in front of a client and I know that Cheryl won't ask me any questions. I text Cheryl letting her know I've completed the assignment and that I've been dropped off at the Barwood Public Library. I scroll through social media on my phone. Seven minutes pass. The library opens and the patrons who had been waiting in their cars slowly get out and make their way to the front door of the building. I haven't got a text back from Cheryl but I suppose this isn't unusual, given her cold demeanor. After another two minutes, I get up from the bench and walk inside the library. I'd never been much of a reader. I walk up and down the aisles of books, looking down at my phone every now and again to see if Cheryl's texted me. Nothing. Just outside of the children's section, I stand for a moment and watch a woman quietly reading to two kids, a boy and a girl. The three are seated at a short table with small chairs, The woman's speaking so softly I can't make out the words of the story she's reading. The children sit on either side of her, leaning in, listening intently. I remember back to when my mother would take my younger brother and I to the library. My brother was way more into it than I was. He'd always pick out three or four books. Maybe one of them would be a book he'd checked out before, but usually he liked to explore new things. He preferred stories involving talking animals. Pete the Cat, The Elephant and Piggy books... I liked stories involving animals, too, but mostly I was fixated on this one book. It was called Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus. It was a very simple story. It annoyed my mother by how simple it was, and rightfully so. I should have moved on from Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus. But there was just something about the way the pigeon character was drawn and the unique way the story was told. The entire book was just a pigeon trying to convince the reader of the book to let it drive a bus. I like the fact that I could interact with it. I like the fact that even if I didn't say no out loud, the pigeon still heard me deny its begging. I suppose I also like the control aspect of it, being able to deny someone else rather than being the one denied. There is a sequel to Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus titled The Pigeon Finds a Hot Dog. In this book, the pigeon finds a hot dog, and a duck wants him desperately to share it. Unlike the first book, however, The pigeon interacts only with the duck. I suppose that was why the pigeon finds a hot dog didn't hold the same charm for me. Maybe if more children's books broke down the fourth wall, I'd be more into reading as an adult. Hey, a voice says from behind me. I turn to see Mark. Oh, hey, I say. As soon as he sees he has my attention, he flips his keychain around on his finger, turns and heads back toward the front of the library. I follow Mark outside and into the parking lot. I don't see that brown Chevy Malibu. Instead, Mark walks to a white two-door Ford Focus that looks to be at least ten years old. I sit down in the passenger side and buckle myself in. Mark starts the car and pulls out of the library parking lot. The radio is on, and Captain and Tennille's love will keep us together as playing. I know the song because my mother had it on a compilation CD of pop hits from the 70s. I've always hated the song, and she knew it. Sometimes she'd play it and sing along just to piss me off. As soon as we're on the highway, Mark rolls down his window and puts his elbow on the door, leaning his head on his hand. I'm surprised but thankful that he hasn't asked me any questions. Maybe he can tell I've been through enough for one day, but I doubt it. Love Will Keep Us Together ends, and a commercial for a local carpet cleaning business comes on. Mark turns the car radio off and sighs, then rolls his window back up halfway. Were you waiting for me long in the parking lot? I ask. Huh? Mark says, simultaneously turning toward me and rolling his driver's side window up the rest of the way. I'd texted Cheryl. I thought she'd be picking me up. Oh, yeah, no, Mark says. Then he doesn't say anything else, so I don't say anything else either. I think back on that morning, remembering the argument between Mark and Cheryl that Jacob and I had witnessed. I assume their fighting had something to do with Cheryl's absence and Mark's present mood. Mark parks just down the street from the building car partner's offices, is in. we both get out. I look at him over the roof of the Focus. He gives me a closed-lipped smile as he shuts the driver's side door. I smile back. I walk just behind him on the sidewalk toward the entrance to the building. I don't see Cheryl's brown Malibu anywhere on the street. But we do pass Jacob's Fiat. When we get to the third floor, we find Jacob sitting on the stairs, looking at his phone. Hey, I say. Hey, Jacob says, standing and putting his phone into the jacket pocket of his tracksuit. Mark unlocks the door to the office and Jacob and I follow him inside. Mark drops his keys on the desk and walks around the corner, assumedly to the bathroom. Jacob and I sit down in the two chairs in front of the desk. How'd it go with the cupcakes, he asks. Bad and good, I say. Then I remember the $30 tip. I guess I should say that it started bad, but ended good. How about you? The pencil sharpening, Jacob asks. Yeah, how did that go, I ask. It was fine. Easy, I guess. You need a ride home again, Jacob asks. Would you mind? Jacob laughs. I wouldn't have asked if I minded fair point, I say. Did Cheryl pick you up and bring you back here? Yep, Jacob says. And she didn't let you in the office, I ask. Nope, Jacob says, laughing a little. Didn't even shut the engine off. That bitch, I say. Hey, you said it, not me, Jacob says, smiling. What do you think they were talking about this morning? I mean, when you and I first got here and we heard... Oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Does it really matter? Might have something to do with why she dropped you off and didn't let you in the building, I say. Hmm, Jacob says. I I, I guess it doesn't really matter, I say. A toilet flushes and a moment later Mark appears from around the corner. He seems surprised to see us, still in the office. Oh, he says, sitting down behind the desk. He looks down where his laptop usually is, but it's not there. Shit, he says. He looks around on the floor and then behind him at the map on the wall. Ah, I'll have to text yous two later with your assignments. Sorry. Jacob and I stand, say goodbye to Mark, and leave the office. When we're both inside Jacob's Fiat, we look at each other, just before he starts the car. You think we still have jobs, he asks. I don't know, I say. What do you think? I don't know, Jacob says, smiling. We both begin laughing. Jacob starts the car and pulls out onto the street, heading toward Maine. Did I tell you about what happened the other day to me in a convenience store? I ask. No, what happened? I had this weird experience in the 7 Eleven that's about an hour's walk from my apartment. I think I know which one you mean, Jacob says. Sorry, continue. It's okay, I say. Anyway, I go in there to get a snack, and there's a woman who looks to be about my age walking around with a mentally handicapped man. Disabled, Jacob says. What? I ask. The correct term, I believe, is intellectually disabled, Jacob says. Oh, I say. Okay, well, yeah. Anyway, there's a woman who looks to be about my age supervising an older, intellectually disabled man, and she drops her keys by the Slurpee machine, and I pick them up. And I run out to give her the keys, and as I'm handing them to her, the disabled man... he uh, I'm going to grab your arm for a second, is that okay? Yeah, go ahead, Jacob says. The disabled man grabs my forearm like this, I say. Then I grab Jacob's right forearm that's holding the steering wheel. He smiles. I release his arm. Okay, that's creepy. Then what happened, Jacob asks. Then I get this incredible sensation from the place on my arm where he grabbed me. What do you mean? It was like a sudden feeling of overwhelming peace running through my arm from where he touched me. And it traveled into my chest and up my neck and into my face. And for a full second I wasn't able to breathe. But there was no fear, only tranquility and a kind of light tickle that flowed through my torso and head like a wave of pleasure. What happened next? Jacob asks. Well, then I was just kind of paralyzed. I couldn't really move. And a moment later, the feeling had completely disappeared. And it was like nothing had happened. Weird, Jacob says. You ever have anything like that happen to you? I ask. Not from just a hand on my arm, Jacob says, laughing. He pulls the fiat into my apartment building's lot. You like Oreos? I ask. Who doesn't? He says you got a minute? For Oreos? Always, he says. I instruct Jacob to pull into one of the parking spots labeled Visitor. He does and then turns the engine off. And we get out of the car and he follows me upstairs. We walk inside the unit. I toss my keys on the kitchen table. Sit down on the couch and I'll get the cookies, I say. I take the half-finished package of Oreos out of the cabinet and bring them into the living room, putting them on the coffee table. Sorry about the mess, I say, picking up the blanket I'd slept under the night before, folding it and returning it to the back of the couch. I sit next to Jacob and peel the cover on the cookie's back. I hand him two and take two for myself. All I've had to eat today was a piece of toast, I say. You didn't get to have any of those cupcakes you decorated, Jacob says. Not one, I say. Damn, Jacob says, unscrewing an Oreo and licking the frosting. I gently bite into one of my two cookies as I stare at Jacob, carefully watching his tongue and lips admiringly. He looks at me out of the corner of his eye and smiles. I smile back. Pull your sleeve up, I say. What? Why? Jacob asks. I want to see if maybe the disabled man's grab gave me that sensation because it was skin on skin, I say. This is a brand new tracksuit. You want me to stretch my shit out? Come on, I say, taking his hand in mine and with the other pushing his sleeve up toward his elbow. You ready? I ask. I guess, he says as he chews and swallows the second of the two cookies I'd handed him. I grab his bare forearm. Anything? I ask. He looks surprised for a moment, then serious. I feel something, he says. You do? I ask. Jacob can't stay serious for long. He smiles big and starts laughing. You asshole, I say, pushing him. Hey, he says. Then, in the moment, as I'm watching him laugh, his eyes closed, I suddenly want to kiss him. I lean over and push my lips against his. As I move toward him, he leans away and gently pushes me back. Whoa, 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 he says, standing. Don't you have a boyfriend? I'm sorry, I say. I don't know what came over me. Yo, I should go, he says, pulling his sleeve back down. No, please, I'm sorry. Look, Emily, I can't imagine your man would be too happy if he walked in on you kissing me on his couch. No, it's okay, he's gone. It's over between us, we're uh, not not together anymore, I say, pushing the cover back on the Oreos. Oh, Jacob says, when did this happen? Yesterday. I say. I see. Well, you're obviously, Jacob starts to say. But just then, our cell phones both go off almost simultaneously. I'm obviously what? I ask. Jacob takes his phone out of his pocket. It's Mark, he says. I sigh and pull my phone out and see that Mark has texted both of us. (sighs) Looks like he wants us both there at eight tomorrow for our assignments, I say. Guess we get to keep our jobs after all. Jacob says. I toss my phone onto the coffee table and push my hands through my hair. Jacob reaches down and picks up my phone. What are you doing? I ask. He taps away at the screen for a minute before placing it face down on the table. I pick it up right away and see that he's put his name and number into my contacts. Feel free to call or text me anytime, Jacob says. I'll be here at around 7.30 tomorrow morning to pick you up for work. Sound good? I nod and stand and walk him to the door. Jacob, uh, sorry, I I start to say. No, no, he says as he steps out into the hall. No need to apologize. It's okay. I've been where you are. I completely understand. Thank you, I say. He smiles, nods, and walks down the hall. I slowly shut the door to my unit. Then I walk back to the couch and sit myself down. And finish the rest of the cookies. Okay, uh, that is the end of part five of Car Partners, written and read by Andy Mascola. The songs we played were Zigzag, Loopster, Chillwave, and Miami Viceroy, all by Kevin McLeod. You can find Kevin's music at incompetech.com. All songs were licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. A link to this license can be found in the description of this episode. This has been episode one hundred and thirty of the People Are the Enemy Podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as a dollar ninety nine. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. We love you. Peace.